0: This podcast is sponsored by Luke1977. If you fancy grabbing yourself any gear from Luke, don't forget to use the code MAX20, which gets you 20% off almost anything over there at Luke. They've just brought out some really nice new clothing, so go and check that out. Really, really worth it. And don't forget to use that code MAX20 for a 20% discount. Hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast. Hope you're having a very good start to your week. Feels weird coming on here talking about an away game where we haven't won. And it's not often you get to say that as a Villa fan. Um, but I'm your host, Max Stokes, joined by Simon Lines, as always. Simon, I'll ask how you are and I'm, I'm asking you how I sound as well because we've just uh, started to get ourselves up for the podcast. I'm messaging you saying, are you ready to go? And you're saying no because my AirPods are in the washing machine. But luckily, we are back. The podcast is underway. But you had a little bit of uh, issues getting yourself on this afternoon.
1: Yeah. yeah somehow after my airpods have been in a full washing machine cycle for two hours they've come out well, i'm not going to say unscathed because they sound a little bit weird it sounds a little bit weird now how i'm talking to you now but they're working and they're charging so um yeah so airpods clearly are indestructible so yeah i'm not too bad apart from AirPod dramas But yeah All good Unbelievable I mean You're definitely Gonna have soapy ears
0: By the end of this With all the washing yeah. Machine water getting, your, getting into your ears But there you go At least we're underway And the podcast Is up and running If you haven't already Checked out the West Ham Video on Villa on Tour Please go and do that Although it was a 1-1 And a pretty wasn't the most exciting game in the world but it's a decent video nonetheless as always so go and check that out and subscribe to Villa on as well we are actually very close to 51,000 on YouTube I think we're only like 10 away so if you haven't already please do go and subscribe over on the YouTube also please do subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on Spotify, Acast, Apple whatever it is please do subscribe so you never miss an episode and of course as always please do leave a review whenever I say leave a review people do go over and do that so it is massively appreciated I think we've got one hundred and twenty reviews on Spotify and on Apple there are some very nice comments uh, about the podcast so that is very much appreciated so thank you for everyone who uh, has done that. So coming up in the podcast there is a slightly different but important segment to kick the podcast off which you'll hear in a minute. We'll also be chatting through Villa's 1-1 draw of course at the Olympic Bowl on Sunday afternoon and our experience as away fans at the London Stadium. We'll also be talking about the players that Villa have got out on loan because it seems that this weekend every single one of them has managed to score so that's all good. And then to finish the podcast off, we'll have a brief chat about the Bournemouth game next week at Villa Park and how crazy and unpredictable the relegation scrap seems to be at the moment. It was a bit weird today because I was at work and there was an Albion fan that I was speaking to about the football and he was asking me if I feel safe now in the Premier League and it's like, well... Yeah, thirty-five points, and it's. I looked at the table when we actually stayed up on the last game of the season at West Ham. We had thirty-five points that season. So, sorry, would you reckon we reckon we're safe? I think we. I think we're staying up at this point. I think it's safe to say.
1: Do, do you know what? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be really honest with this and just say that I don't think I've ever felt in danger of relegation since Emery's come in. If I'm being honest, I mean, oh, no. under Gerard we were sort of we won't do the best. And we were sort of, you You sort of thought this might be a bit of a relegation battle, but since Henry's come in, I haven't even thought, I haven't even thought twice about it, to be honest. And so, I'll be safe on 35 points probably but I really wouldn't be concerning us with, with, with what's behind us to be honest. No it's nice isn't it to, to sort of hit that business end of the season and, and be looking up rather than
0: down because even compared to last season where you know we were, we were in a decent place in the league probably looking up and then it sort of dwindles out we have a few I'll say a few a really bad run of form towards the end of the season and it turns into nothing the players go on the beach and we end up finish 14th so I said it on, on a West Ham preview I did in the week that I don't I don't want it to be like that. I don't want it to finish uh, the season early and it looks like Villa on the beach because that's happened too many times. So it'd be nice to finish strong and I think that's how it's going to be as well. I don't think Emery's going to allow these players to go on the beach. And I'm looking forward to a nice, comfortable end of the season because I saw a tweet in the week saying that there's sort of 10 teams chasing Europe at the top of the league and then there's nine teams facing relegation at the bottom. The only team in the middle who's doing pretty much nothing and staying in 11th is Aston Villa. But do you know what? We've had a million seasons, it feels like, where we've been struggling towards the end of the season. But... The, we feel like we're the only team in the Premier League who aren't really fighting for anything.
1: But I don't I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that we're not fighting for anything though, because if you look at the table, we're not that far off those we're not that far off those European positions and so I'm not saying we're gonna do it and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that we're definitely gonna be in the race for it, but we're not that far off. And so people talk about consistency. But well, over the last few weeks we have been fairly consistent, yeah, you yeah. know, two in the last three, we've we've won two and drawn one and so if we can continue that, then I don't think this season's totally finished in terms of what we've got to play for, if I'm being honest. I mean, we want to win strongly so we have that bit of momentum going into the summer and it might help attract more, you know, better players as well. I don't know. I, I wouldn't totally write it off if we can find that level of consistency for, you know, six, seven game runs rather than two or three game runs, then... I still think we're in, in with a shout of of getting to maybe where we want to be. Look, that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But while it's still attainable, you, you want to try and aim for it, don't you? No, I agree 100%. I'm not saying that Villa season's over. I'm not saying
0: that. But it just kind of feels like that way when, you, when you're when you in 11th for what has felt like six, seven weeks. But do I think we're going to do it either? Probably not. I think you're, looking at, you're going to need a few teams to fall away. And then Chelsea seem to have got themselves in order a little bit. Fulham are falling away, to be fair to them. But... Do I think it's going to happen? No, but I'll get your point saying that it's it's not over by any stretch.
1: I think we'll finish top half though I really do. I think Fulham aren't in great form i don't I think Brentford'll tail off now they've had that first defeat in Uh, 13. I'm fairly confident. I think we'll finish top half. We've
0: got these teams to play at home as well, haven't we? We've got Fulham at home, Brentford
1: at home, um, got Chelsea
0: to play, of course, as well. So Brighton at home as well. So Brighton. never know. It could happen. It could happen. But 100% you'd take top half, wouldn't you? Considering where we were sort of October. 100% it takes up half for the first time in what, 12 years, 11 years?
1: I wouldn't sit here and say that at this point now I'd expect to finish in the European places. I think that's like the very top end of what we could do, and mm. that would be like absolutely remarkable if we did that. Um, I don't think we'll do it, but it's still there to fight for, and so. If we finish in the top half while fighting for that, then after how Gerard's reign ended in October and where we were where how we were looking in October, then you'd have hundred percent have taken that.
0: Before we get into chatting about the game, we're gonna talk about an important topic that we think needs addressing and where the Hope United campaign from EE comes in. During February, which marked LGBTQ plus history month and football versus homophobia's month of action, Hope United set out to tackle online homophobic hate. EE is committed to driving progress in society around issues that matter to us all. One such issue is online hate. That's why EE has formed Hope United, a unique team of elite assembled footballers to combat online hate fronted by Joe Cole and comedian Tom Allen as well as Jordan Henderson, Daniel James, Lucy Bronze for example and many more. You may have seen billboards dotted around recently about the Hope United campaign itself, I've also heard radio campaigns as well which was fronted by Jordan Henderson. So why are we talking about this and why are we bringing it to our podcast? It's basically to encourage people to call out online abuse where possible. The Hope United website from EE has set out to offer everyone digital skills to call out online homophobia whenever and wherever they come across it. So the main aim from our perspective in terms of. Bringing Bringing it to our podcast is to try and create an inclusive culture within football, particularly in the Aston Villa fan base. We want to talk about it, we want to shine a light on it, and even if we change one person's views, actions, choice of words, or habits, that's a step in the right direction for us. So, EE and Hope United's tagline is Homophobia Cannot Go Unchecked, and nowhere is this more obvious than in football. of Brits consider UK football to be homophobic, and that rises to 88% amongst LGBTQ plus respondents, whilst the number one form of online hate in football is homophobia. Simon, firstly, is a gay man yourself, who is pretty well known in the Villa online scene, obviously well known from Villa on tour, being pretty active on Twitter. Have you ever received any homophobic abuse online?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, probably something that happened pretty recently, actually. Only maybe a month or so ago, maybe yeah, about about a month and a half ago or so. I think there was um, just a, just a, a tweet I'd put out on on Twitter regarding. Uh, us going to Milan and how how cheap the tickets were, and you know obviously the normal comments came back from that. You know people wanting to discuss Italian football and how we were getting to Milan for that game and ticket prices, uh, but there was just that one individual who on that tweet started a bit of a. He started out as a probably a little bit of a, a debate. I'd have, I'd have thought a bit of an argument or a, or a debate, um, and then very quickly it was you know it was sort of back and forth, and then very quickly that debate turned into sort of him giving out homophobic abuse which it took me by surprise a little bit because it was just a generic conversation about football or football tickets um and then somebody turned it into or hate or homophobia t- towards myself which yeah it, it did sort of take me aback if I'm being honest social media is strange isn't it because people mm.
0: always want an argument and more often than not the people who do offer hate online are hiding behind a keyboard, hiding behind a faceless profile picture. And despite it not being homophobic towards myself, I've experienced it before on social media. I think it makes it so much worse. I think one of the stats here is that nearly half of people surveyed by EE believe that social media makes the issue worse, and it does because it allows these people to hide behind a, a faceless profile picture and dish out this abuse and it, it goes unpunished most of the time talking about that that certain incident that you had there I know that a few days after that we had we had an away game did it have an impact on you like obviously that was online but going out back into public where people
1: recognize you would have seen what happened online a few days before how difficult was that I think when that when that tweet happened um I'm sure it was on a weekend when. We either had a home game or Villa weren't playing, and so um, we we had a fairly decent period between that incident happening on Twitter and our next match. And um and our next match was Man City away, which it was. I don't. I think I'm sure it was a good ten, ten, eleven days between between the incident and then the match. And so you sort of dwell on it, don't you? And I think mm. the person who the person who had tweeted me, um, he um he 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 mentioned something about oh wait wait till I see you at Man City or something and and it was a sort of like it was a veiled threat, which I suppose that part of it doesn't doesn't really bother me because again it was a faceless profile but then you sort yeah. of start thinking you think oh it's a faceless profile you have no idea who this person is and yet this person clearly goes to Villa sort of home, home and away because he was talking about going going to the going to the away game and then you just sort of think obviously with with the following you, you sort of have on Twitter you know with sort of four or five thousand followers a lot of the I suppose a lot of the Villa fan base a lot of the away sort of support would have sort of seen that tweet yeah. and would have sort of seen that sort of argument and so I think when you sit down and dwell on it which probably isn't a good thing because you start overthinking things but you do start thinking oh, I wonder what wonder what reaction I'm going to get here I wonder if this person's going to be around where, when I go I wonder yeah. if he really is going to be sort of you know waiting to have that confrontation with you or you wonder how other people are going to react and so if, if I'm being honest with you and like it's not something I've ever ever felt before but it caused that sort of little bit of anxiety in my mind and like you know you walk through the turnstiles you're looking around you thinking oh is anyone looking or is anyone you know, is anyone anyone, anyone going to come up to you and say anything? And so that that, that was a feeling probably I'd never, ever had, ne- never had as a Villa fan or never had as a, as a football supporter g- going to any match. And so it was a bit of a first for me. That was definitely... We'll go back a little bit in time then. How was coming
0: out for you? Because I think when, when you came out to us, you know, as your mate, you'd known us for about a year or so. Did the fact that you'd met us through football and we might be viewed as the typical football lads, did that make it harder because of the association with football and sort of, you know, we've already mentioned the stats in terms of homophobia in football. Did that sort of stigma make it a little bit harder?
1: I think there's there's a couple of elements to it for me is that, I don't think this is something I don't think people uh, quite un- understand sometimes. But living as um, as a homosexual person is that, or bisexual, um, or, or, or anything under the LGBTQ umbrella. Um, you don't come out once, if you know what I mean. It's not just yeah. like one big announcement. Everybody in the world knows, and that's it. You face that for sort of the whole of your life, really. I mean, any new person that comes into your life they end up obviously knowing. And so you go through that sort of coming out phase consistently, whether whether you uh, build up a new friendship or whether you meet somebody new through work or, or socialising when you're out and about, it's it's literally a constant, constant thing. And mm. the, obviously there's an argument people say, well, why do you have to? But the reason why you have to is because society usually puts you in a bracket of like a default bracket of being a straight person all the time. Um, and so, if you want to be true to yourself, if you want to be true to that person, when you're having that conversation or that friendship, whatever you end up having to do this coming out scenario over and over again. So that, so that's the first element for me. And then in terms of my coming out to, I suppose, you guys it was hard it was difficult and i and I, and i think it was from from what you said there really it's because we're in this sort of environment in a sort of football supporters environment you know you sort sort of young lads and you look at it and you think it's football's like a stereotypical thing isn't it like sort of macho sort of blokes you know on a on a coach or on a train drinking beer talking beers about and, women and all sorts yeah talking about women and stuff and 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 let, let's be honest that happens that does happen um mm-hmm. and so again people assume people just assume I suppose I suppose for me telling you guys it was probably a little bit of that in my mind it was probably a little bit like you know this is kind of in football this is kind of taboo this is kind of this doesn't happen and so for me, with a bunch of, you know, really good mates who had met through football, it was, it was kind of felt like it was kind of going to change things. And I think for me, it was just at the point where it was, you know, I got to know you guys so, so much better. And I think it was slap bang in the middle of lockdown, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and we'd grown a lot closer, probably through lockdown, et cetera. And it was, it was just purely the fact that you feel like, you, you know, you've got to know people quite well and you as really good friends. Um, and then you feel like you're lying to them sort of thing. And obviously major things happen in your life you know you start dating um and then obviously your friends who you're really close to obviously ask you questions they obviously are interested in yeah. in want in, in wanting to know who you, who you are dating or or, or or what's happening and so that was the sort of process i went through really and then obviously I don't think I had any individual worries in terms of telling you guys. I don't think I had any individual worries about any bad reactions because I didn't. I know that you guys wouldn't be like that, but there's still that element where it's like, you know, it's a it's a large group of friends and we were all got that one thing in common which is going to the football and supporting Aston Villa and um and 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 you just you know I suppose it would only take that one sort of bad reaction wouldn't it to sort of change things fortunately that didn't happen but yeah it's um it's always a nervy nervy time especially when you especially when it's somebody brand new who you have having to tell um but it's it's something that people from the LGBT background just have to keep going through over and over and over again but yeah that's a little bit of a background to to my story so how
0: can english football fans do more to call it out and how can you find out more as well well search hope united by ee on the internet will be the first thing that comes up loads of information on there and it tells you how to report online abuse as well which is really really important regardless of sexual orientation or background setting out to demonstrate the positive impact anyone can have by calling out online homophobia is hope united's aim and what we want people to take away from this segment on the villa on Soul podcast so please do go and find out more if you so wish. Go and check out the Hope United website. There's so much good information on there. And obviously for Simon experiencing it and for me having to having to see your best mate go through it at times it is a topic that is quite close to home. So please do go and think about it and check out uh, the Hope United website. So off the back of this collaboration with EE, I will be making a donation to the Football Versus Homophobia charity. So then let's move on and chat about our trip to the capital at the weekend. So it's our second time at the London Stadium. Let's just talk about our experience a little bit, because I think, I've said it before, there's a million Villa podcasts, but I like talking about our experience at the away games, because I feel that's like what other podcasts can't really offer. How was it then? How was it at the London
1: Stadium? You get so much criticism. How was it for you, So si? I'll start off from the very beginning. It felt like it took absolutely ages to get there. I don't know if that was just me yesterday, but I, honestly, I felt like I was on that coach for what felt like a, a literally a lifetime. You weren't even morning.
0: awake for most of it. You had a nice little nap around the M25. Wasn't that the way back? No, nah, you had a nap on the way down.
1: I don't remember that part, but um, <laughs> it felt like it took forever. It was only like an hour and a half, so in the pub, which is a little bit different. We're usually there for quite a while. So, yeah, onto the stadium and... Ah, oh, it's the same old, isn't it? The one thing I would say, well, the one thing I would say this year was that the security was a lot quicker. Yeah, we literally got through within a couple of minutes this year, while well, last year. What I
0: will say is though, I, th- I think there's two entrances to the away end. I think we went to a different one last season. I did see some people on Twitter oh, right. they had issues going into the stadium this time, so I think we were slightly lucky. But no, oh, I take okay. your point. It was quicker for us. I think for other people there was there was issues getting in, which you'd probably expect going to Western.
1: Yeah, well they've moved the coach park, haven't they? Yeah. So the coach park, the wave hands in a totally different location, and uh, obviously we went in this other entrance. And if that's the case, and um, yeah, so that was a lot better. That started on a positive note, but yeah, the stadium itself is just, I, I, I you know what I think about it anyway. I mean. Looks wise, it looks great. I mean, like the the from outside the stadium looks good, and from inside when you at your seat, you know you're looking around the stadium, It's a good stadium, of course it is. I say it's a good stadium. I don't mean it's a good football stadium. No, it's it's a good stadium, mm-hmm. and when I say that, I mean it's pretty good for other sports and events. But it shouldn't be used as a football stadium. I just from the from the lower tier, your view. Okay, it's not. Too bad. I've saw some pictures on like Twitter from after the game of people's views from the upper tier. <laughs> I just can't believe how far away it is. Like, no. you know, I thought we were. I thought we felt far away when we were mm-hmm. at the San Sierra a few weeks ago for the Milan game, and yet we were literally put up in the gods. Uh, but at West Ham, that picture I saw on Twitter, you, you, you can barely even see the other end of the uh, other end of the pitch. You're that far away. The, the, the life and soul of West Ham has been sucked out of it by that ground. I really do. Like, I remember going to Upton Park years ago. And I know a lot of West Ham fans will agree, and it's not me, but not me launching a, a you know, a thing against West Ham. I, I don't, I don't mind West Ham. I think they're a good club. Um, but how they, how they left Upton Park for that place is just it baffles me. It genuinely does. I mean, there's nothing around it. The access to it is really poor. Um, and then you, once you're in the ground, you've got all these massive like open spaces, which I'm not even sure what it is. And then you've got that terrible view, and then a terrible atmosphere as well. So. <laughs> I'm not a fan of it. I'm really, and then also I hate the concourse area as well. They've got like one set of toilets, which is laid out horrifically. Um, and then you can't, you can hardly get to the bar because there's no room. Even though it's a brand new stadium, it baffles yeah. me. You know, it really does. But I, I just don't think it was designed for, as a football stadium. If I'm being honest, yeah, the concourse is
0: remarkably small for the sort of amount of people it's meant to sort of look after. It sort of feels like there's there's two away ends as well, doesn't it? Like the amount of times yesterday, I'd look behind me and I could hear the Villa fans in the upper, upper tier chanting. Yeah. Just feels like that's a completely different away end. It feels like they're miles away. It's just, it's just absolutely bizarre. And that that segment between the upper and lower tier that looks like it could be a whole massive gig stage in itself. It's it's so so bizarre, isn't it? And I encourage anyone to go and watch the Villa on tour video because you can actually see it. I give a like, like I actually give visual representation to what it was like. And it was it was it was weird. And it, you're right, it's not a football stadium, and it probably is my my least favourite away day in the Premier League. And I'm, I'm going to West, West Ham fans agree though. I've seen on Twitter. West Ham's are saying, like, yeah, we know, we know it's bad. And I was speaking to a West Ham fan before the game. They they miss Upton Park massively, and you can
1: absolutely see why. The thing with that, what you just said, though, they've got, like, that weird sort of stage area, like, you know, like in the away end. Like, why don't they just put seats in there? I don't... Mm. I don't really understand why they've got that. The point of it is, obviously, when there's athletics, the lower tier moves back, and that's
0: sort of like the void space that it moves into. But, yeah, when it is being used as a football stadium right, the majority okay. of the time, they could 100% do something with it, couldn't they?
1: Just, it looks it looks a mess, doesn't it? It just looks a mess. um, And it just it doesn't, as you say, it feels like you've got two away ends. It does feel like, yeah, you're right, you turn around, and it looks like the Villa fans are absolutely miles away from you.
0: Well, at least there was no popcorn this time. I didn't see any uh, popcorn stands. I did see the couple in front of us, though, had yeah. nachos and hot dogs in the first half. So they were getting the full-on uh, Olympic mm. Stadium um, sort of experience. But yeah, yeah, it's it's just absolutely horrible, isn't it? And I, whether we'll go back next season, I don't know. I think West Ham will stay up. But uh, yeah, it's just not one you look forward to going to.
1: Yeah, it probably gives you cinema vibes, doesn't it? When you see people <laughs> like... It's like you've come to watch like, Avatar or something rather than coming to watch West Ham versus Villa. So it's all a bit weird
0: with right then to the most important segment of the week emery watch i think it was pretty standard this week wasn't it um a sort of zipped up cardigan looking thing with a nice claret eye classic smart Nothing really to talk about this week on the uh, Emery clothing front, was there?
1: No sensible choice from the manager yesterday. I mean, it was quite a warm day, wasn't it? Quite quite a mild day for March yeah. after the snow and ice we had last week. It was quite a, quite a mild day, so um, yeah, nice nicer Played it, played it safe. Um, would have liked to, would have liked him to take a little bit more of a risk, but you know, fair play. He played he played it safe and it paid off. Fair play. Well, he can't take a
0: risk every week, can he? With the um, wild no. arms, but now fair play to him. Right, should we actually talk about some important stuff then? Let's actually talk about the football team news there was quite a bit to talk about wasn't there i think before the game in the pub there was like murmurings about Oli Watkins potentially not being available. I'm not really sure where that came from. I think he didn't appear in the uh, training videos that Villa released, did he? And there were sort of people chatting about was he going to be available. If he wasn't, that was going to be a massive miss, but luckily he was. There was also a lot of chat about who would fill in uh Kamara's position. I thought it was going to be Chambers dropping in, but John McGinn does drop in and you're sort of losing that John McGinn's threat going forward, which I was a little bit concerned about. I don't think he had as good a game. I thought he was good, but I don't think he had a good a game as he did against the Everton um and Chris or Palace game previously. Bailey obviously comes back in. Moreno comes in as well. You were saying during the game that sort of Moreno Dean sort of combination. Who starts? Who doesn't start? Kind of feels like the Trezeguet Algarzi where it could be either of them. And then in the 65th minute, every single game they'll change. So I don't really know. And then the other talking point was obviously Carlos being back on the bench. So pretty interesting team news, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, thank God Watkins was available. That would have been a, a crazy miss. I think, I, think the one that's, I think the one that sort of um, shot us in the foot a little bit is obviously with Kamara being out, you know, you've got sort of, I'm not saying he's as good as Kamara, nowhere near, but you, you've got like a light for light replacement in Dendonka where you don't have to, re, you know, move around, yeah. move other people around too much. But he's he's obviously not available as well, which adds to the headache and so yeah he puts McGean in, in defence midfield and um you know what I think of that. I'm not a big fan of that. I think you don't get the best out of John McGuinness mm. um in recent times. We've seen that. We've been playing in like an attacking role. He's he's so much better. I also think it puts a little bit more pressure on the other players who play up there. You're relying on Ramsey, Bailey, Brendere, etc to to have good games. Um and that's probably not what really happened yesterday. And so I did feel like it stunted us a little bit going forward. But then on the other side of things I do understand it. Um, kind of from the point of view that obviously we like to play at the back. That's how Emery, Emery wants to play. And um, I'm not sure Chambers is is very comfortable on the ball. I thought we missed Kamara badly. I really did. And I thought we missed Miggy in that attacking role. So it was a big miss. It really was. And hopefully Kamara, Kamara comes back soon, either next week or after the international break. Let, let, let's, let's hope for it. But apart from that, I think the Dene Moreno one, I, I said to you during the game yesterday that I think the sub on the 60th Fifth minute sort of mark is because it's quite um, it's quite a difficult role the fullback role isn't mm. it and uh, I think yesterday in particular they had Ben Rahm and Bowen um, and I think they you know they really sort of they really sort of targeted those wide positions and I think it was quite a difficult afternoon for 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 Moreno in particular but both fullbacks really and so I think that's why well he said that Emery said that's why he made those changes um, in the second half yesterday when he brought on uh, Dina and uh, Ashley Young as well from Matty Cash um, probably think that's why he wants sort of two pretty competent fallbacks who can you can sort of interchange depending on the opposition and, um, you know, change up during the match as well.
0: Yeah, from that perspective, it's it's nice that sort of Young and Cash and Dina Moreno are sort of all on a similar level. Like you haven't got a standout left back and you're sort of a little bit worried when the replacement comes in. I think it's nice that they're both pushing each other. And like you said, when that change is made in the 65th minute, it's not too much of a, a problem for, for either side on the right and left. Um, but what did you make of Diego Carlos being back on the bench? That was nice to see, wasn't it? I think the first time he appeared in a matchday squad since the Everton game, was it, at home? Is that when he had his injury? What's that, seven yeah. months ago? Absolutely ages. I think hopefully he'll get like a behind-closed-doors the close, behind closed doors game under his belt, potentially an international break. Expecting him to be on the bench against Bournemouth, but he's he's probably not going to come in out of the cold light, light. You'd probably expect him... Maybe under-21s, but more likely a behind-closed-doors game. But it's nice to see him back, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's really good news. I'm really, really pleased for him because it must have been hard having such a bad injury like mm-hmm. so early on, especially with him coming over from Spain and not speaking the language. It must have been really, really difficult for him. Um, and we haven't really seen anything of him. I mean, we don't know too much about him, do we, really? Because we, we've only watched him those handful of times in pre-season at the very beginning. So... We don't we don't know too much about him and um you know I, he'll be he's back into it won't he I mean he he's been out what seven months I mean that's quite a recovery in terms of in terms of the injury he had I mean you'd expect players to be out longer than that um, and so he's come back probably quicker than anticipated really yeah he'll have a bit of football but I think we'll. It's it's good to see him back, but I think we'll yeah. we'll really see like the, the true Diego Carlos probably probably next season.
0: Yeah, I think you're gonna have to sort of he's basically wasted a, a year of his filler career, isn't it? Obviously, you're gonna have to be so careful with him. You don't want to just throw him straight back in, and obviously we're not gonna do that. Um mm. but yeah, you, you'll you'll see you'll see the best of him in pre-season, then obviously you'll go again next season. Uh Danny Ing started for West Ham. What did you make of that? We were chatting in the pub before, weren't we? And we weren't really too concerned. I think he was rested um in West Ham's midweek European game, obviously for this one. But as a sole striker, we've all seen it. That's why he didn't thrive at Villa. If you're going to play Danny Ings, you need to play to his strengths, and they're a very particular set of strengths. West Ham didn't do that, and we sort of expected that, didn't we? As a sole striker, Danny Ings isn't really going to cause you too many problems, and he didn't against us, luckily.
1: No, it's always the error that teams make. Is that like they play Danny Ings on his on his own up front, and he's not the type of player to do that. He likes to play in a two um, off the shoulder. You know, him, him, and another one off the shoulder. Of the- of the defender, um, but yeah, I think I, when I saw the team sheet and I saw that he was one with Ben Rama and Bowen on the wing, I didn't. I, th- I think especially with how resolute Villa have been defensively over the last couple of games. Mm. I didn't think. I didn't think we'd probably give him that many chances to score because the thing is, we did give him a chance in the six-yard box. That's usually, cool. Danny that, that that's where he's lethal. We did a job, um, you know, a job on him, and I, I thought we. I thought we would. I wasn't. I wasn't overly concerned with with Ings playing and to be honest with you I was kind of glad I, I, always, I always feel like when Antonio plays obviously he was out yesterday but I always feel like when Antonio plays he always seems to get the better of us so mm. I was quite pleased he, he wasn't available yesterday and I was quite pleased that Ing started I didn't think he'd trouble us much and um, he didn't. No, he didn't
0: trouble us too much at all. But someone who did was Ben Benrahma, and he always kind of feels like he turns up against the Villa. Obviously, a couple of years ago, he was very strongly linked with us in his Brentford days. But I think him, uh, Jared Bowen, caused us major, major problems yesterday. It kind of felt like, kind of felt like everything West Ham did, it came down their right hand side and our left hand side. And I think especially in that first half. Moreno has been caused a lot of problems. Obviously, Ben Rama has a very early chance. And if you watch the, the highlights, like the short highlights back, it feels like every single one is a Ben Rama chance. He probably had four or five chances yesterday. So West Ham started that game pretty well, didn't they? But it is Villa that go 1-0 up. And it's a brilliant, brilliant goal. That assist is absolutely brilliant. And that's what Moreno's good at potentially he was run ragged a little bit defensively, but going forward, he's he's a really good outlet, isn't he? And that assist is brilliant. And the header is is really good as well. It's a great goal.
1: Yeah. It was good. It, it all started from good football from the back again, though. It was sort of built up again. And, um, the ball finds its way to Moreno and uh, he sees that little opportunity. You can see him, he slows down. Then he thinks, Oh, I've got a little bit more room here. And yeah, he's he's quick. He's in the Moreno. I think he's, I think he gets himself into these positions because he's very quick. Yeah. Um, unlike Dina and, um, yeah, it was a brilliant cross. And, um, again, though, just shows you what confidence Ollie Watkins has got, though, because he attacked that ball like like he would say, I'm going to score this sort yeah. of thing. And, like, he got uh, he, a brilliant header, like a great leap and a brilliant header and... Um... It was, It reminded me of the one against Everton where, where Pickford made that yes. brilliant save, to be fair. Yeah. It, was, it was very, very similar, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it's another early goal for Villa as well. Good habit that we've got there. Watkins sort of peels off the defender, doesn't he? It's that bit of movement, and from the away end, it feels like it takes absolutely ages to go in. But it's a great, great goal. Uh, here's one for you. Six in seven for Ollie Watkins then. Fourth consecutive away goal for him. He's the second player to score in four consecutive away Premier League appearances for Villa. Who was the first? God, I don't know. Dwight York? Yeah, Dwight York. Good guess. Between March and May in 1998. So he's breaking a lot of records at the moment, Ollie Watkins. So uh, fair yeah. play to him. Absolutely flying. But after that, West Ham do sort of grow into it again. They don't sort of sit off. Um, having quite a few corners, they had 13 corners in the game. Villa only had two. And obviously from one of their corners, it results in the West Ham penalty, which is an interesting talking point. Martinez sort of flaps at the ball Watkins clears it off the line Bailey sort of fouls Paqueta and it's it's really soft isn't it we said it at the time it's really soft looking back on it but it's a dive he's cheated as soon as he goes down his arms are in the air he's screaming at the referee it's just really soft. I don't think there's any other
1: way to describe it. It's it's not a penalty, is it? It's just there's no way that that you're looking at that. There's no way that's a penalty. You could ask uh, all loads of West Ham fans, and I'm sure they would still agree that that is no nowhere near being a penalty. The problem being is the referee gives it, and then VAR starts looking at it. But then you've got this whole stupid thing about threshold. Oh, was it clear? Was it clear and obvious error though? Mm. And it's like, what does clear and obvious mean though? That that's the problem. Clear and obvious. It sounds quite dramatic, doesn't it? And it's and it's it's one of them. It, they, they were never going to overturn it, but it's the sort of thing though. If you hadn't given it, they wouldn't have overturned that either. And that's what and that's what's wrong about it for me is that it, it literally okay. It was naive of Bailey to put his arms on him. It was. It was never. It was never. It doesn't. That wouldn't force you to. Wouldn't force you onto the floor, would it? Um. And yet it did. And uh, and then they get given a penalty and it's not overruled and I just think this is where this is where VAR needs to change. I, I find I just find the decision making really really bizarre because everyone knows that wasn't the penalty and I think it was re- even more frustrating because obviously Oli Watkinson made a brilliant clearance off the mm. line as well. Um, so it, you know that just went you know it just went to pot because. Bailey, you know, fouls him. But I feel a little bit sorry for Bailey on that one because I, I, I'm sorry, but it wasn't it wasn't a foul. And if those are the sort of decisions that are being given now, I just think it's a joke. I really do.
0: It's really inconsistent though, isn't it? Like in another game, you'll see a different decision and it won't go West yeah. Ham's way. It's, it's just really, really bizarre. And Paquetta's going away from goal and he just tries his luck, doesn't he? I don't know what happens to his legs they just sort of disappear and he ends up on the floor and he tries his luck and the referee buys into it i thought the referee had a really really poor afternoon like take your pick um i haven't seen any of the, the decisions back like the buendia penalty um appeal but just all afternoon just so much inconsistency yeah and there was sort of a running theme between between us two talking about the the foul throws it's something minor of course it's minor But these things just get missed. The linos, not us. Linos, again, just aren't spotting anything. They're they're there to help the referee, and they just don't. Things like a foul throw, which is really
1: easy to spot,
0: they just sort of brush off, and it's just it's just bizarre.
1: The foul throws were constant yesterday. It was literally like every single time. It was over that. Um, it was over on. It was the left back wasn't. It, it was West Ham's left back that was doing it. Um, and it was literally constant. these foul throws yesterday. Not one of them got picked up on. And then there was the, the the other thing for me is that I noticed it in the second half again, and it was the same against Palace last week. The delaying giving a yellow card to, to players. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, they, they had the one, didn't they? Um, Paquetta. Paquetta, wasn't it? He should have been booked about three minutes before he actually was because he made a yellow card offence at that moment. Mm. Wasn't booked. Then he finally does get booked. And then West Ham then knows he's, he's walking a tightrope. And then he gets substituted. But you need to start yellow carding players earlier. If, the, if it's a yellow card offence, it's a yellow card offence. You need to get your book out. Stop being so lenient. Get your book out and book him. But when we're talking about consistency with penalties, I I, I did see the Brendy one back. And, like, again, to be fair, I don't, I don't think it's probably a penalty, nor was the other one. And it's this is in the, this is within the same game. And that's what that's what really, really baffles me. And, again, it comes back to the clear and obvious thing, though. The referee doesn't... I don't think he sees the Brendy one, if I'm being honest. I don't think he sees it. But then it goes to VAR. And then VAR's using this stupid rule of saying, oh, is it a clear and obvious error from the ref? And it probably isn't a clear and obvious error from the ref because he hasn't seen it. So it's, so that's why the penalty isn't given. But then earlier on in the game, the penalty is given. And it's that's within the same match. And then you look at other like games yesterday in the Premier League, though. That Newcastle Wolves game, and there was the, the penalty that Wolves should have had. And that wasn't even given. It was the foul by Pope, it wasn't even given. Um and yet you look at you look at the, the one Bailey did, and it was given. And you're just thinking, what's going on? Why where is the consistency? And that's the thing, like, okay, you could say you can't talk about Two different games, you know that that's that's different. You got a different set of match officials, uh, VAR, etc. On it, but the Brendeer and the Brandeer one and the Bailey one, well, it's within the same game with the same set of officials. I just I don't understand how one was given and one wasn't. I don't think either of them were penalties. I find it, I find it baffling that. That, that one was given. Yeah, they're, they're probably
0: just as soft as, as each other potentially. But you're right. If you're going to give one, you've got to give the other. Like you just got to be consistent. And we're just not seeing that. And it's so, so infuriating. It's actually a good penalty by Ben Rama Makes it 1-1. But then after that, Villa have a huge, huge chance. And a lot of our good play was coming down our left-hand side as well. Moreno, wasn't it? Moreno, Ramsey and Watkins um, sort of link up. And Watkins probably should score. Like From the away hand, I didn't realise how much of a big chance it was. But looking back on it, it's a really, really big chance. And Ariola makes a pretty Decent save, but it should be two one there. But I think, it,
1: did what did you make of the, the first half overall? I I thought it was pretty even, and it could have gone either way. Yeah, I think I think it was pretty even. I think I think they had a, a few like balls over the top, which we were struggling to deal with, and um, obviously Bowen. Bowen especially was getting the better of Moreno, but I thought we were hanging on a little bit at the end of the first half, mm. but I thought it was fairly even. But on the Watkins, yeah, the Watkins' chance, it was, again, it was a big chance though, wasn't it? And, and you're right, at the time, you didn't realise until you look at the the highlight reel again after the game, you realise that was actually a really big chance and um, it was sort of straight at the goalkeeper, wasn't it? If it was either side of him, it's a goal. But yeah, big moment really, just for half-time because that would have made it, obviously, 2-1. It's a big moment. So, unfortunately, that one didn't go in, but... Um, we won't criticize Watkins too much because the form is in, but yeah, it was it was a it was a big moment. But yeah, overall, I thought we were I thought we were okay. I don't think we were I don't think we were spectacular, but I thought we were I, th- I thought we were okay, and I thought we probably I thought we were probably shady the first time. Mean, if you if you look at the game, if you look at the game like a balanced approach, I think Villa would would say they had the first half and. Probably West Ham would say they, they are the second, I, I would have thought. Yeah, early in the second half, the, the chances for Benrahma continued. Martinez
0: makes a, a pretty routine save. But again, it's Bowen causing major problems uh, for Moreno. And even, even when Moreno went off, he caused problems for Dean as well. Uh, ben Rama had another chance where Martinez makes a save as well. And then another one where Ashley Young makes a really, really good block, actually. And then uh, Bertrand Chauré comes on for Leon Bailey. Leon Bailey again though so disappointing for me and I think it was summed up where he was on the edge of the box sort of trying to create something he sort of he didn't know what to do a bit indecisive so he just scoops over and it lands in Ariola's arms it's just like, what's the plan? He, his decision making is terrible, and it's he's really difficult to watch. And you know, I, I like to think as myself as pretty level headed when it comes to talking about players and and sort of critiquing players. But Leon Bailey at the moment is 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 making it really really hard.
1: It is the it's all about the the um, decision making. I think when he's carrying the ball, he looks like a threat. To be fair, I mean, he does. He gives you that. I always say gives you a different option because he's got a little bit of pace, Bailey. And I think when he's running at teams, when he's got the ball, you think, oh yeah, he's getting himself into a decent position here." But it's always let down by his final ball, isn't it? Whether that's a cross, whether that's a pass, or whether it's a shot, it's usually let down by that final, final decision that he makes, um, which is frustrating because, like I say, he does get himself into decent positions. But... He's not having a great time with things at the moment, is he? And Troy Ore came on, and it's a bit, I don't know. I think people. I think people it's copy so, and paste, really, isn't it, with Bailey? I think they're both as predictable as each other. I think some people were saying that Troy Ore looked bright, and I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as that, if you ask me, to be honest. I think he had a lot, he saw a lot of the ball, uh, he did. to be honest, but I don't think he really did anything. But he made that one cross, didn't he? He made that one cross, which, which well, there was a sort of semi-chance from it. But, yeah, he's, he's another one of them. He's, like, he's a good player on his day. We all know that he's got ability to try all right. Uh, but he just doesn't do it often or consistently enough, does he? Um, and that's the problem. I think we've got... We've got two in Bailey and Traore who are very, very similar. Both heavily left-footers and yeah, it's it's very much copy and paste.
0: I can't remember when Bertrand Traore's last game was, but it feels like I haven't seen him in absolutely ages. He's got a new hairdo, but it seems like it is the same old Bertrand Traore. Chambers comes on for Watkins. McGinn sort of goes further forward. Duran comes on as well. Duran had a couple of chances. We talked about one there that uh, Traore created, but the big one was right towards the end, wasn't it, from a corner. Gets flicked on and he's just not expecting it. He kind of shins it probably should do a little bit better there I think if he's expecting that and he's on his toes probably scores doesn't it
1: I think if he gets his reactions right yeah he puts that one in the net um so it was a bit frustrating. He clearly wasn't expecting it and uh, yeah, it was just a bit of a tame sort of effort, if you want to call it that in the end, wasn't it? And it just went straight to the keeper, which disappointing because um yeah, that could have been that could have been a goal on 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 another day.
0: So then like I said at the top of the show, it kind of feels weird not having an away win. It feels like we don't draw a lot of games as well, but an away point at West Ham who were, who were scrapping for their lives and I thought they were they were better yesterday. You take it, wouldn't you? I think it could have gone either way. West Ham had a couple of late chances. I think a couple of them were offside. Um, but you come away from that and you think, right, last season we we probably would have lost that. It wasn't our best performance. West Ham were okay. You take a point, you get out of there, and away point is is never a bad thing, is it?
1: There's one thing you have to realise that you're obviously never going to win every single week, are you? Um, and I think I know people would look at the league table and think, well, we should go to West Ham and win. I don't think the Premier League is as easy as that, though. I think you've got a West Ham team who are underachieving, without a doubt, with their squad. Um, They're going to be fighting for their lives. they have seen results over the weekend, which haven't been in their favour, sort of thing, and they've dropped into that relegation zone. And so they were always going to be up for it, I think, West Ham were. I don't think they were ever going to roll over and sort of take it. And they have got some good players, the likes of Jared Bowen and Ben Rama. And um, we talk about how Moreno and Dina had tough afternoons up against Bowen, and sometimes you have to just hold your hands up and say, well, he's a top-class player and he played really well, so he's probably going to give most left-backs a, a difficult game. And so, look, at any game, the Premier League is never easy. We talk about the West Ham chances that they had, but a lot of them were sort of shots from outside the area or... Um, or things like that. I don't think we, I don't think we gave them much within our own box, which just shows you how how well we sort of defend most of the time. And I think teams find it difficult to play against us. I think how we sort of draw teams, you know, t- sort of teams in to try and hit them on that sort of uh, press, that sort of counter yeah, sort of counter attack. I think I think Villa is quite a difficult team to play. Um, at, you know, if you're the home team, I think Villa are a difficult opponent to come up against. Um, and I think Emery's instilled that. And you, you're quite right in. In seasons gone by or managers gone you know gone in the past we would have uh, rolled over and probably lost that game um but we didn't and um you look at the stats and we we had so much of the ball again, so much of it we had over sixty percent possession yesterday which is which is huge really I mean I don't remember villa teams having like that those sort of levels of possession very often um but it's a it's a sort of common occurrence these days under Emery. you take that it gives us you know makes us free unbeaten. Um with sort of Bournemouth at home on Saturday and so yeah, not not a bad resort at all. And as I always say, if you if you can't win the game, make sure you don't lose it. Exactly, exactly. We'll move away from the West Ham game and talk a little bit about the lone players that
0: seem to have a good weekend as well. Archer scored, uh, Aaron Ramsey scored, Tim scored and uh, Louis Barry scored for Salford as well. So uh, if you want to hear us talk a little bit more about that in detail, go and listen to last week's podcast. We talked about sort of what the the future holds for for Archer and Ramsey in particular. Sort of Villa's second team and most Villa fans second team at the moment seems to be Middlesbrough uh, because of how good Archer and Ramsey are playing. But another goal for both of them, mate. Middlesbrough are flying as well. They could really catch Sheffield United. They're only four points behind them. They've already beaten them this season. They've got brilliant momentum, Middlesbrough. It'd be nice to see them get promoted, wouldn't it, and see those lads sort of get a championship promotion under their belt.
1: Yeah, it would. And they've they've got the momentum with them. I mean, they're, they're what are they now? They're four points behind Sheffield United now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They're the, yeah, you, um, you'd you fancy Middlesbrough at the moment. I mean, Sheffield United have uh, dropped off. And while yeah, you'd, you'd rather have the points on the board, I'm sure Middlesbrough are looking at it thinking, we can chase them. Um, and they've got that sort of youthful team. they Middlesbrough, where they're not—they're yeah. probably not fearful of anybody. And um, yeah, Ramsey and Archer like I'm really linking it well together at the moment, and banging them in. And yeah, Aaron Ramsey like he looks like he's on fire. I, I think he's had a brilliant season. When you think about how. He's had an injury in the middle of it, but he's been at two different championship clubs. And he's been, let's be honest, he's ripping up for both clubs in terms of his goal contributions. I think he's having a terrific season. I really do. And what a surprise as well, though. I mean, looking at his loan spell when he was back at Cheltenham and he didn't exactly pull up any trees there. I think think a lot of us were surprised when he went to Norwich. When Dean Smith took him to Norwich, I think a lot of us were thinking, oh, he's not, he surely's not going to get much game time. But he's got to be shown in training because obviously Dean Smith gave him a go at Norwich and, you know, he scored quite a few goals for them and got assists. And he's doing the same for Middlesbrough. So I feel like he's really stepped up this season. I feel like this season's sort of going to be the making of Aaron Ramsey. Um, and then Archer's doing what Archer does best. You know, he finishes chances, doesn't he? And yeah, so for Middlesbrough, it must feel like they've they've acquired like two really really top players in January to sort of help fight them to promotion. I, I I wouldn't put it past them. I think that I think they'll do it. I do. Oh, I'd love that I'd love that and sort of reiterating what what we said last week it's going to be an interesting summer
0: isn't it because for Aaron Ramsey there seems to be more sort of opportunity in in the Villa squad I feel like we've already talked about Archer but sort of Watkins ahead of him Duran ahead of him potentially a new striker who's going to be ahead of him sort of the way Villa play doesn't give him too much options but Aaron Ramsey I think it does and like you said I wasn't expecting it at the start of this season he had a disappointing spell at Cheltenham but he's done it at two clubs, like you've already said. and He's absolutely flying, and here's a stat for you. Aaron Ramsey has now equaled Jack Grealish's top-scoring season in the Championship with six goals. To get six goals at this point in the season, two teams with an injury in the middle, It's not bad at all, is it? It's going to be an interesting summer, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and the way I look at it, I think, if say say Villa had Aaron Ramsey and, say, um, Tim on the bench from from QPI yesterday. Say we had them two on the bench yesterday. You could have seen both of them coming on for Villa yesterday and actually contributing to the game, couldn't you? You know, we were sort of short of a defensive midfielder, which is where um, Irogbenham could could have come in, um, who's playing well as well. And then, you know, we were sort of pushing for that winner. You're looking for that little bit of fresh legs, you know, in the sort of final third of the field and our wow, Rams is providing that, isn't he? And so you're looking at you're looking at our bench at the moment, you're thinking these two lads could, could potentially really make an impact. Um and I wouldn't I think out of all of them, I think them two have got the best chance of being in and around the Villa squad next season, if I'm being truthful. I think I think they have. I think there's more opportunities to play in those positions. Yeah. Archer's are gonna I feel that Archer's gonna be um his downfall is gonna be him being a striker, if I'm being honest. That sounds weird, but I just think how Villa play with one striker, I, I think he's going to struggle. I think he's really going to struggle. We've got Watkins, and obviously they've, they've got a lot of faith in Duran, and we're still thinking that Villa might go out and buy another striker in the summer. I wouldn't. I, I would have thought we will. Where does it leave Archer? I feel a bit sorry for him, really, because if we if we played in a different system, he probably would be sort of you know on our priority list to get into into the squad. I'm not convinced about where he's going to be playing. And so the two for me who I think could make an impact could be Tim and and Aaron Ramsey definitely.
0: Yeah, if you're Cam Archer though, you've got to be thinking, what more can I do? And it is really, yeah, he, yeah. he's quite unfortunate in the way that's going. But going back to Tim Arubinam, I'm I'm really excited with him. Obviously, um, he, he played for Villa a couple of times last season, didn't he, towards the end of the season. I remember him coming on at Brighton, coming on at Leicester. And even then, he looked so calm on the ball, didn't he? And I think there's a real pathway for him. You can kind of see it. I think, obviously, you've got those two central midfielders in, in Louise and Kumara. I wouldn't mind him being back up to them. You've got Den Donker, who's probably going to be the first choice backup. Um, but it, for this weekend, for example, if that was next season, you'd probably start, Tim, you wouldn't want to see you wouldn't yeah. want to see uh, Chambers in defensive midfield, you wouldn't want to see McGinn drop back. So there is a pathway, isn't there? You can you can clearly see it.
1: I think there is. I think there is for Tim, definitely. I think, obviously, Kamara and Louise are very, very good footballers and they'll be our two main defensive midfielders next season. But I mean, if they buy another midfielder, it'll be sort of like an advanced midfielder, like a Gwendoza, yeah. like, we like we were linked with in January. I don't think it'll be another defence midfielder. And so, for me, if you if you said we were going to go into next season with sort of the four being um, Louise Kamara, Dendonka and um, Irogba, I think that looks pretty healthy, to be honest with you. I really do. And um, and as you say, it's that sort of direct replacement rather than having to disrupt the team and putting McGinn yeah. there or putting Chambers in who's not comfortable on the ball. I think the thing that when, I, th- I think the thing with Tim, I think obviously he started that Norwich game, didn't he, at the end of last season and he made those couple of sub-appearances you mentioned. And uh I think the thing is with him, he's, he's re- very good on the ball already. He's, he's just got to beef up a little bit and sort of um, impact the game, hasn't he? I think there was, there was times when the game sort of bypassed him a little bit. And that happens with young players, of course it does. But I think the year at QPR will have stood him in good stead for that, definitely. But yeah, I could see him be, being involved, definitely. Yeah, exciting times then in terms of the youth, and it will be an interesting summer. Uh, wrapping up then,
0: a nice little curse that seems to have gone away. is the third kit in London. Any other season, we would have we would have lost that, but for us not to lose. Um, happy days, another talking point as well. I don't know if people who weren't at the game would know about this, but but the whistle in the home end, someone had brought in like a, a literal referee's whistle into the home end. And they did it a couple of times, but most notably in sort of then there was six minutes added time. They they pretended they were the referee and did like a full-time whistle blow about four times in uh, four minutes into the added time like half the away and started to like turn around and get ready to leave like there was booze you could hear and it was just mental wasn't it Like, and then they did it again and it's like why are you bringing a whistle to a football match and like continuing to do it it's bizarre behaviour
1: desperate times call for desperate measures though when you're in a relegation battle isn't they it? they really wanted that point didn't they Weston yeah the rest were desperate for that point so <laughs> that's, what, that's why that fan was blowing that whistle inten- intensive might have been yes, Kevin man. Nolan or someone on the bench you don't know it's, it was annoying though wasn't it it was It's really really irritating I just, why would you do that in all seriousness why would you take a whistle <laughs> to the football if that
0: you know, was like, someone um,
1: next to you though would you not just like tell them to shut up so it's, it's bad re- yeah well you would but it's bad really though isn't it I, I always put on par to like taking in you know when like people were taking like those like laser pens and shining oh, yeah. in, in goalkeeper's eyes like it's kind of on par to that isn't it really you, 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 you're you interrupting a, a, a match basically like, you? and know, so yeah, I don't know where I start. I think that's a proper dodgy one either. Yeah, maybe maybe they need to intensify the security at West Ham and oh, make God. sure that no, make, make sure that no one's got a whistle on them. Yeah, maybe instead of two layers of security they need to up it to three or four, maybe
0: that'll stop yeah. the whistles getting in. Yeah. Um late trivia then in the podcast, one little bit of uh, trivia more then. Ashley Young made his 200th Premier League appearance for Aston Villa. How many players have done that then? How many players have reached that 200 appearance mark in the Premier League? Hope you didn't see uh, Villa's tweet by the way because they tweeted this. Well, what, what for Villa? What yeah, yeah. Villa? How how many Villa players have made 200
1: Premier League appearances prior to Ashley Young doing it at the weekend? It can't be many, is it? About six or something.
0: Not a bad guess. It was eight. So Ashley Young is okay. the ninth player to do that. Uh, what a man! Still thriving at 37 years old. Absolutely unbelievable. What a bloke. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And um, yeah, he he's just a, a credits himself really, and and how he looks after himself. That he's in that sort of in that sort of shape at, at that you know, that old age of sort of 37 um, in football in terms anyway, but (laughs) be interesting to see what happens with him going forward. Really? I mean, Will he get another season? I See, I have a feeling he might not, you know. I have a feeling oh, he might. Ah, don't ruin it. No, I have a little... I just have a feeling this could be the final season. I don't if know. It was up, I don't if it was know. up to you, though, would you offer him one? Because I, I would. Yeah, I would. I would, but I just... don't know. It's, just a, it's based on absolutely nothing, but I just get a feeling that he might not be offered one this season. I don't know. Maybe... Because he's doing his coaching badges as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they'll want to keep him around in like a... Bit of a coach capacity as well, but I think maybe one more year, maybe one more year from him, but... Yeah, I don't know. I have a little feeling he might not be, but we'll soon see. Bournemouth
0: at Villa Park next week, then. What do you reckon? Uh, They had a very good result at the weekend, didn't they, against Liverpool? Fair play to them. I watched that game. It was probably a bit of Bournemouth being good and Liverpool being horrendous, but they were decent and fair play to them because it's so chaotic down there at the moment, isn't it? Everton obviously picking up a win at the weekend as well. They're absolutely scrapping, and I've said it before. We need to be careful. These relegation sides are scrapping for every point they can get. But... Gotta be winning that at the weekend, do not we? At home as well. Let's get two and two at home. That'd be nice.
1: Yeah, they're kind of all picking up points, aren't they, down at the bottom? Like every week it sort of tends to change and um mm. they're all fighting to be fair to them. They're all then whether it's because they're all fighting, or whether they're all just as bad as each other, I don't know. I'm not really <laughs> sure what it is, but so again, yeah, not an easy game. They'll be fighting for the lives. I mean it's a game you expect Villa to win at Villa Park, and we probably like we know we can play, then we probably should win the game. But the only other thing that worries me though is Bournemouth for a, another bogey side, aren't they, for Villa? We don't think we're ever we ever beaten do we and so another little bit of a bogey side so maybe another sort of curse that Emery can put to bed this weekend but yeah tough game but again there's no easy games in the Premier League but yeah another tough game but you'd expect Villa to to come out on top and get another win
0: yeah please do subscribe to the Villa onto our YouTube channel because that is the next time you will see us at Villa Park next week and of course subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on the support as always is very good and the podcast does seem to be growing so a big shout out to you guys for that massively appreciated have a good week and we shall see you at Villa Park on Saturday up the Villa